The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever. We will talk about Manchester United itching their way to the 40-point mark. 39 <laughs> points they sit on at the moment at the halfway stage of the Premier League season in third place. Those early season relegation fears, Rob, are nearly, nearly gone. That magical 40-point barrier is nearly hit. They have 19 games to take a point and save themselves from relegation. Well, in the first Eric 10 weeks when we were told that Manchester United might have a really, really, really tough season. It's kind of turning into an all right one, isn't it? You know, we, 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 we've we avoided that relegation fight. That, that Arsenal were in that a year ago, weren't they? Remember at the start of the season, bottom of the table for a little while and then a kind of bottom six for a little while and then powered their way back up. Their quality came through. Um, it's quite nice, isn't it, to talk about Manchester United in terms of fighting for a Champions League place. And already nearly kind of comfortably top four. Like we're not talking on the on the parameters and of it, you know, and not not you know nearly there, but not there. They're actually looking quite comfortable in those positions. So this year, top four, of course, is the aim, and a title race is a bonus and a trophy. I, I would like you. Carabao Cup. I, I I want to now put it there. I want to win the Carabao Cup now, like very much so. And I'll be very, very disappointed if we don't. Yeah. Do you know what? A trophy in this context is much more important. I always say every year, like, oh, the League Cup, the F Cup, they don't really mean a lot. It's not what the club wants. But in this context with a new manager, uh, one of the minor trophies, you know, that's what I like to call them. Yeah, it does matter because it's always just a sign of, of progress going the right way. And a day at Wembley, and if you can win it and... You know, you're going to win it against a Premier League team, aren't you? If you get to the final of the League Cup, that's mm-hmm. that's a given now. It's it's another little tick in the box, isn't it? And maybe a box that we didn't think would be fulfilled this season. Yeah, so United are in the semi-final of the Carabao Cup. Obviously, they play Nottingham Forest in the next few weeks. They are nine. They played 19 games in the Premier League. Halfway point of the season, they have played one game less than Tottenham and Fulham, who are fifth and sixth. And they are six points ahead of Spurs after Spurs were beaten by Manchester City, which is interesting. The, the Man City situation is interesting. We might talk about that a little bit later in the show because uh, Eric Ten Hag said a quote at the start of the season, which is actually coming to pass, or it's suggesting it's coming to pass a lot earlier than I think most people expected. Uh, anyway, you know, United are in good, good nick at the moment. And we are talking in this tone Rob after United dropped two points in the week as well so we'll talk about the the Crystal Palace draw very disappointing actually in the in the circumstances obviously I think the world has looked at Casemiro's flying tackle and thought I I'll tell you I audibly screamed no no when (laughs) when Casemiro made that tackle uh just because he will now miss the (laughs) Arsenal game which is on the weekend the Arsenal United game has a bit of a feel of, you know, 20 years ago, maybe not not quite those levels at the moment, but it's just suggestions that that fixture is starting to get a bit of a bit of vigour and a bit of precedence again. Uh, so we'll talk about that later in the show. We'll we'll look at the Palace game. What what went wrong? Maybe what what's going well? All in all, though, Rob, like to draw with Palace, you know, the fact that we were going there in the first place expecting to win 
is a kind of measure of where United are now, I guess. And like, yes, it, the, the result was a bad result in the circumstances because it was a 90th minute free kick, which took the points away and United should have probably gone on and scored a second goal. United feel like they should have had a penalty. Obviously, the free kick was taken in the wrong place, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, in the big picture, grand scheme of things, you, you kind of have to eat those and, and learn from it, right? Absolutely. And I think it's a, definitely a barometer kind of check of where we are both like as a fan base as well as the team, that you are going to Crystal Palace and are disappointed in that scenario. Like This is the kind of scenario we would have seen play out over many seasons at Manchester United, wouldn't we? We would have gone to Sellers Park on a kind of cold and windy day and that happens to you. You get a punch in the gut and you kind of go, oh, why did that happen? But we're used to it, aren't we? We saw, I think, in this game, you, you know, I think big positives and negatives and the growth of this team kind of now dictates that you should go to Sellers Park and expect to win. And I think the big kind of highlight of this match is to say that if you were a little bit more clinical at the top end of the pitch, you kind of win these games comfortably now. You know, I think that's the way it goes. I was really impressed, Scott, in the first half with how Man United worked off the ball. Like, I'm... I don't know. Like I, I look at these these things in terms of how I judge them, and I'm looking for that energy always now. That that's my big point. Every match, I'm kind of like, when they haven't got the ball, are they working back for it? You know, are they being combative? It's a little bit like the Ralph Ranyet Gagan press philosophy of six seconds. You haven't got the ball for six seconds, go win it back within six seconds. And it seems to me that this is something they're buying into. So I think the first half they did that. It kind of got a bit messy in the second half. Palace could smell blood, couldn't they, towards the end of the game? They get their opportunity, and as you said there, and it is a scandal that that free kick was taken anywhere near where it was taken because it was about seven yards pushed forward. Why the referee and linesman do not recognise that, I don't know. If it, 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 it's a, it is a scandal, you know, like it's, it's, it's such a bad error. Um, but he puts it in the top corner. What can De Gea do about it? You just said there about Casemiro, obviously, with the yellow card. That was Bruno's fault for letting his player go because that's how it got to got to that moment where a Casemiro then sives down the player. But that's why I think Casemiro could, probably could have stayed on his feet in that moment. You know, you've got to think the greater good at that moment. But I think he was thinking, no, I need to save the game here because this might be a goal. You're still far enough out, weren't you? To maybe yeah, Varane behind him as well. But... Yeah, and I think as well, like he didn't need to scythe him down. He could have pushed him over reached out and pushed him over and you might still got a yellow card but maybe a less of a chance of one you know which or just obstructed him or something so a bit of a downer on that i think with uh with casemiro uh not being available now for this huge match uh in north london but overall you know may night did beat arsenal without casemiro at the start of the season when arsenal was still very very good and manchester united were very very bad so you, there's still a balancing point there that tells you that united could go uh, to the Emirates and complete and compete with the team. You you spoke a little bit there Rob, about counter pressing and you know mm. energy. Uh, one thing for me that I was I was thinking when I watched the first half of that game, United kind of took control of the game. They took control of possession, mm. and they were very assertive. I, I guess is the word when I would watch United under previous managers, I would always be like, right, come on, start the game fast. And, you know, passive, passive, passive. But it would always be that even in the first 10 minutes, whether mm. a goal was scored or not, that United would be chasing the ball, not having just it. just feel like they were asleep, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. be like, all sleepy sleep. Lack of urgency was always the kind of issue that bothered me. But yeah, just nice to kind of see United, you know, asserting themselves on games. But we'll, we'll talk about the Palace game in a little bit more depth in the next few minutes, but you can subscribe, please, wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., and watch us twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube as well. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment, get in touch with us as well. As we, we, I know we not not able to respond to everyone, but thank you. We do we do see the comments, we do see the love, which is uh, very nice for us to read. Uh, and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on audio. And obviously, Twitter is probably where you can get us quickest. Uh, at underscore Scott Saunders, underscore Rob, underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Today, we'll talk a bit about the Palace game. We'll talk 
Big Vout. We'll talk Aaron Wan-Bissaka, Casemiro. We'll talk a bit of Jaden Sancho back in training. And we'll look ahead to the Arsenal game as well because it has a big match feel to it. I kind of feel like the Casemiro booking has taken a bit of an edge off it. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of feel like it was the two form teams in the country at the moment where they're going in and like United have this massive, you know, chance to go and stop Arsenal, the Arsenal train as it is. Uh, obviously doesn't, like you said there, Rob, United did beat Arsenal without Casemiro early this season. But I kind of just, you had this narrative of Arsenal fans saying parties better than Casemiro and all this business, even though it's just a ridiculous debate. Uh, it just feels like an edge has been taken off and now Arsenal are, I think this game was considered a lot more even before the Casemiro booking. And now I think Arsenal are hot favourites for it. Doesn't necessarily mean United will, you know, still absolutely like get played off the park and lose. I still think United have a good chance, but yeah, bit of the shine taken off it for me. Uh, Maybe a little bit. I think when the, when the yellow card happened, you kind of, you know, you assess public opinion from the moment of the yellow card to now I think it does show that United, a lot of United fans do still have a kind of disaster complex. They still think, oh, you lost one player, finished, that's it, no chance, that's it. Oh, oh, McFred, 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 oh my God, this is where we're going. So there's this kind of disaster complex. I don't think for one second that Eric Ten Hag and his team of coaches believe that. They just, as he said, you know, they need a plan. That's what he's going to do. He'll, he'll have a plan for that because you have to face adversity, Scott. And you have to go forward and win games without Casemiro. What happens when one of your main players gets an injury? It's going to happen, isn't it? You can predict it because that's how football is. So you've lost Casemiro for this one game. But on the flip side, the good thing is that's his five yellow cards done. It means you can go forward without, he can go and play his game, go and be physical, you know, in the next few weeks. You know, you can kind of take away that card and not worry about it now because you're always going to miss him in any game that you play. I get for the story of the match that... Casemiro against Party and kind of, you know, Arsenal's best eleven against Man United's best eleven is really interesting, but I don't think that it's it's a game killer. I don't think it is. I really, like, I think United will still go there with a similar attitude and try and play similar football. Of course, any replacement for Casemiro is not as good as Casemiro, but you've got to live with it. Suck it up, live with it. This is the job. You know, go out there and play Arsenal and fight Arsenal. Because I think the things you're going to have to do against Arsenal are have a kind of spoiler tactic in there somewhere as well to kind of disrupt their midfield because that's where all the good stuff happens. If you can do that, you've still got enough going forward to be able to hurt them. I still think their weakness is, is kind of in the in those channels between the, the defenders. You can get in there. That's what United are good at. So let's see. I think it's all there to play for, even without Casemiro. Um, Casemiro doesn't win you all these matches that United have been winning. He just he's just he's just the solid brick that it's all built on the wall. Do you know what I mean? He's the player, isn't it? You see that bit and you go, oh, we didn't have that last year. Well, it's up to someone else, isn't it? Like Fred, to go and be busy. Do you think it'll be Fred? Do you think it'll be Scott McTominay? <sighs> it, I, I think the, there's there's two or three very defined tactics that Eric Ten Hag might play, and it all depends. So. If you're playing Anthony off the right at the top end of the pitch, then you might see Bruno tucking in a bit deeper and being part of that 4-3-3 and being a, being a player who's a bit more busy in the defensive function. Or you might see that United go for kind of full 4-2-3-1, which I think is more likely. And I think it might well then be Fred and Eriksen deeper with like Bruno in front of them. It's horses for courses, isn't it? Like defensively, McFred are probably better, but then you can't play out from the back. So you would have to have a ball player there, like Casemiro's done that ball playing role, isn't he? He's got the ball out from the back. He's probably need Ericsson deeper. What I will say is this when Ericsson and Fred played the earlier games at the start of the season, that was actually a functional problem for United. You know, Ericsson can't really track those players. He's not going to, he's not going to be able to do those things, but it doesn't mean he can't work hard. And actually, if he's against a technical player like Odegaard, it kind of fits him better because they're both going to be doing technical things. So Odegaard's going to have to also look after him from deep and that will take away some of his attacking prowess. So there's a balance point there, Scott. I think it will be 4-2-3-1 because I think that's the most obvious thing that Ten Hag does in these situations at the moment. During your time talking, I mean, obviously we did say that we'd talk about 
all of these, well, the game from the other day, the yeah. Arsenal game coming up. We haven't mentioned yet, and we haven't even discussed the the takeover stuff. <laughs> I know <laughs> from, we should do this week. So when sh- where should we put it in? Because the Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos have uh, gone public with it. Do it after our preview of Arsenal. Let's do it. Get, let's do it after the back end. All right, let's do it. A- let's do it after. So you you will get some of that as well. Uh, all right, let's go back to uh, the Palace game then, because I've got we've done Casemiro already. Mm. Uh, so I'll I'll move that around. But let, let's talk big Vout, Vout Veghorst. What did you yeah. make of him? Because he was thrown in straight away. Do you think he'll play now against Arsenal as well? Obviously, Anthony Martial's not right. For whatever reason, he missed the game entirely the other day. Uh, Veghorst, he wasn't completely up to speed, but, you know, he has been... He was brought in like two days before, before the game, so it's, he was never going to be absolutely flying, was he? Uh, what, what did you make of him? Well, two or three days to le- learn an acute tactical system that these players are taking six months to learn. So it's kind of like, I think the expectation should be low. But saying all of that, I think he did really well. And I'm so quite surprised how, again, maybe the reaction from the wider football media and kind of, you know, appraisals of the football match in the end. Of course, the narrative was about Palace scoring and that United dropping points. So that's got that's what's been talked about more. I think he did all of the things in in a kind of rudimentary fashion that you wanted him to do in this game of football. And he was on the football pitch, what, 65 minutes. And I actually think taking him off at that point kind of contributed towards allowing Palace to win the ball back higher up. You know, that Palace started getting going and cooking from much deeper because you put Rashford in the middle and Rashi just, just, again, he looks like he's got a knock, doesn't he? You can see that. You can see he's not flying like he has been in recent weeks. And yet you're putting him at the top of the press. I think that Vegas did all of that really well from minute one. Like I said to you off camera, I really liked it straight from the kickoff. He just ran at the centre-back. Like, you know, big six-foot gangly guy running at the centre-back. And you think, yeah, that's your job. That's what we've, we've bought you for, to be able to initiate the press. And United lost that in that second part of the second half. And I think that's because he went off. So I don't think he's been given enough credit for for what was a really good debut, I thought. Defensively helped United as well, you know, from set pieces. He was the guy heading the ball out of the box, something we've not not always had, even when we've had big centre-backs at the back like Harry Maguire. Um, he's going to help United's function in, in so many different areas. Yeah, he's not the most sexy player. He's never going to be that. But I really think he can help you in your rotation. Let's hear about Martial. I think Martial is a worry because... If he's going to be hindered by these little injuries all the time, then you're going to have to just reduce his minutes. He's going to have to play off the bench a little bit more or maybe 60 minutes tops in games. Um, if he's fit, I think Martial will will start. But then there's always the worry, isn't it, that 45 minutes in, it blows up again. You have to take him off. So I wouldn't be surprised just for this game. It's a switch. Val Veghorst starts the game and you have Martial as your bench piece. You said he wasn't the sexiest player in the world. Um, no. Is it is it mean of me to kind of like say when I was watching him? Obviously, he's very tall. Like the, mm-hmm. I think the big thing for me was, wow, this guy's tall and has massive long legs, <laughs> and he would press. His strides would be massive, but he'd actually be moving quite slowly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of something that struck me. I was like, yeah, he's got great energy, but it doesn't seem like he's covering ground all that fast. But, you know, that, that was kind of the big thing that stood out to me. Although Eric Ten Hag did praise him uh, in the lead up to the United goal because he took away two defenders from uh, yeah. to allow space for Bruno Fernandes. So. But yeah, the numbers tell you that actually he does cover the ground better than I think he visually looks. So like, because he is a little, because <laughs> like, he is big and he's, he's a bit of a unit. I think you've got to also imagine it in real time. So when you're a centre-back and you've got this six-foot-six guy running towards you with a pretty long stride, he's not like ultra-fast, but you don't need to be ultra-fast in the press. You just need to be able to know what you're doing in that press. And that's what I was impressed with because he knows what to do with that because that's his game, this natural game. So I think when you're a centre-back and you've got this six-foot-six guy coming, you don't even know when to launch it over him because... He's so tall, you know, he's probably going to close you down and intercept. So there's lots of kind of maybe benefits that are outside of the box, you could say, and I mean, metaphorically, because he is going to make defenders change their game. He just will. And he'll do it in a way that, again, 
say Cristiano wouldn't do because Cristiano would kind of jog up to a well. A Rob, Cristiano is is off scoring goals in friendly matches during mid season. Uh, did, did you see the highlights? By the way, I I have refused to watch them because why? No, I'm not interested. Like, I, I, I I did that, to that... make a a sarcastic tweet comment yesterday on because I saw the goals. One of Ronaldo's Ronaldo's first goal was a penalty. The second yeah. goal was a tap-in after his header hit the post and Sergio Ramos completely air-shotted a clearance. And Sergio Ramos and Ronaldo are obviously quite good mates. So I was a bit like, oh, this is interesting, isn't it? I, it's quite convenient, in fact. Uh, and obviously I, I tweeted that and I had a, a ton of replies going, you hater, you are the, you're the worst kind of guy, all this kind of stuff. I just thought it was quite convenient. Anyway, uh, Good luck to Cristiano Ronaldo um, in his in his new venture. But anyway, let's back. Let's go back to this game. Uh, do you want to do the the goal the, the goal that United conceded the the free kick, the fact that they gave up a late equaliser, the fact that they didn't press ahead and get a second? Yeah, look, I I, th- I think the thing is, again, it's all pros and cons, isn't it? I do think that in that last stage of the game, United became reactive rather than proactive. And that was, I think, indicative again with the, the Casemiro yellow card. So Casemiro doing that is reactive. Bruno letting the player go is reactive. You know, it's, 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 it's not proactive. They weren't doing the stuff that I think they were doing earlier in the game. So I think that's the takeaway for the manager. Goals like that can happen. And, and when he put it down in there and went to take it, and I kind of watched, I watched the replay like 20 times the following day. I was like, in that situation, you'll take that moment. Like if that player is going to shoot from there and it was in the wrong place, but he was going to shoot from there, man, he scores one in 50 times. Really, he's never going to hit that top corner like that. It's a hell of a, hell of a strike. To be and he didn't, like, he hit it and he was like, oh my God. Like he didn't even celebrate. He was like, that's crazy. De Gea again had a really good game, didn't he? You know, there's two big saves and, and he got pretty close to that in the top corner. Had that been taken from the right place, Scott, you 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 win the game. And not just that, Scott McTominay probably should have had a penalty earlier on. Debatable 50-50, but it is leg-to-leg contact. It is a foul. So you win the game 2-0. So you can see how You close... can't moan about it. You can't yeah, you moan how... about it. Did you see that offside goal that United were given the other day? <laughs> you can't you can't say anything. You've had all the luck this season. The offside goal that was onside. Um, so it's like it's one of those things, isn't it? Like the balancing point with with these these moments in matches. I don't think there's any real value at kind of analyzing the goal itself. I think the value comes from seeing what the team is doing itself. Do you know what I mean? So I think when it gets tired, it, it becomes more reactive. The proactive elements fall away. And that's why you drop points against Palace. Not because, Scott, you're lazy or you're, you know, dysfunctional or you, you can't do all the things you want to do. One other takeaway I will say is that in the first half, I think it's quite evident that on the ball, United is still not that great. So their passing from back to front is still what I would describe technically as ropey, you know, some, some stick, some don't, but the off ball work is what I'm looking at. Cause that's about your heart and your energy and your motivation. And that is all there in abundance. So you drop, you say it's ropey. It's so much better than it ever was, <laughs> but it's so much better than last year. Like that, that, that's the other side of it is that now you're seeing three out of four passes being completed. Whereas last year, it was probably more like one or two out of four. And, and that was killing you in matches. Now it's not killing you as much. But I think it does show that in future transfer windows, because it's not going to happen in this one, because we're nearly at the end of this one already, you still need to add technique. You do, like, you, you know, you need players that come in, technical ability, you kind of need a De Jong or a type of De Jong type player, if it's not him. You need someone that can put the ball on the deck from number six, get it to number eight, get it to number 10, get it to your wide players, bring in your number nine and work as a unit a little bit more. Because I still think on the ball, United are not quite title contenders. Like that's where Arsenal have thrived. And that's a good segment because Arsenal on the ball are supreme in the same way that City and Liverpool have been supreme as well over the last kind of five, six, seven years. And United have to kind of strive to be at that level. I don't know about you. And if you're listening to me, this team is crying out for Frankie de Jong, like the, the the exact profile of a player that Frankie de Jong is. I look at other midfielders on the market and I kind of think, 
I think Frankie De Jong fits better than everyone. <laughs> I know there's a, like a, a, a something that has formed in my mind over the last six, eight months or whatever, but I just think the the, the skill set he has is just perfect for this team. It's about upgrading, isn't it? And upgrading in a sensible fashion. So, like, we could talk about Frankie de Jong, do a whole show on him and say what he's good at and what he's not good at and why Ten Hag still wants him and did want him. But if you took out McTominay out of your rotation and put in de Jong, not rocket science. Do you get what I mean? So I think this is kind of the process now under Ten Hag, you know, hashtag the process. Because that's where we are. It's about finding the upgrades that get you to do things in a more kind of economical fashion. And I think that's what De Jong is really good at is economics. He's good at getting the ball down and making the decisions, being able to be progressive. But I still think those elements are, are improving all across the board at Man United. I don't think Scott McTominay will ever be a technical player in any way, shape or form. But I think Fred's technique this season is a little bit better, even though I wouldn't really say I'd want to rely on it, you know, to save my life. No, thank you. But I think that there's a lot of elements in there. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who couldn't pass, you know, a bag of cement a year ago, even six weeks ago, is now showing that he looks pretty good on the ball. Now, that's credit to him and the manager. So there's always those elements think, where you can still improve existing talent. Well, that was what I was going to come to next. Uh, yeah, I could have lost, actually. Yeah. Were it not for the spider... The spider with uh, eight legs. We talk about like big strides and long legs and hmm. lack of speed. Wambasaka has big strides, long legs, and speed. And like it, it's it's a remarkable turnaround. And we're it's only been about a month, really, since since this has kind of happened. But you'd look at like before the World Cup. Oh my god, Diogo Dallo is injured. Shit, whatever will we do now? And now it's like you could say out like Wambasaka is just absolutely nailing it at the moment. He really is. Shows and shows and shows about right back alternatives. Who are you going to go buy? You know, Dumfries this, Dumfries that. I'm happy with Wambasaka. Like if this is Darren Wambasaka we have now, and this is who he is going to be going forward. Take that money and go and shove it in the in the face of a Dion. Go and get. Don't spend fifty million, thirty million, twenty million. On a right back, who now you've got Wamasaka doing these things, go and pull your resources and put them in real problem positions or positions where they make where it's an important part of the park. I'm not saying right back isn't, but I look at Wamasaka now and I, I'm more impressed with his form in this six weeks than I was impressed with Delo's form before the Same. World Cup. So Delo, I think, was still a little bit fragmented with some of his play, better on the front foot, better defensively. No doubt, all those metrics were going in the right direction. But I look at Anwamasaka, and Wamasaka gives you pace, he gives you coverage, he can tackle, which is his big superpower. You know, like I, I sometimes think to his detriment, like people forget about the game is about passing the football. But he's doing that as well. So you kind of think to yourself, yeah, if you can do all of those things, I think he's the starter for me at the moment at right back. And Delo needs to fight his way back into the team. That's a healthy that's, a, that's how it should be. That's how the training ground should be. It should be like I'm constantly looking over my shoulder at my competition because the competition is within the squad, not the opponent. It's the player who could take my place and I have to fight against him every day of the week. So Wambasaka is a fighter. I think that we've seen good things from him. But I think that is kind of the base level we're seeing with the whole team, isn't it? I think, you know, I think Bruno stepped up a more. Like in terms of his fight, you're seeing that he looks more motivated in the right ways again now. This is why I don't want to have a go at Anthony because I think Anthony on the ball was not being great, but I still think he's doing off-ball things like he's fighting and you can see it in his face. Like, I want this. And that's the first ingredient, isn't it? So there's a lot of that going on at Man United. I think fans that know this team like we do, you know, all the fans study the team just like we do, they know how bad it's been. And this is something completely different. Worth rem remembering, as I said at the top, United are six points clear of fifth with a game in hand at the halfway stage of the season. I don't think there's anyone really who could have thought that that was possible, especially no. after two games. So it's it, it's important to remember the context. It's important to remember as well that United are playing two games a week at the moment. One game on Wednesday, one game on yeah. Saturday, one game on Sunday, one game Tuesday, Thursday. You know, it's, it, that's how it that's how it's going to play out, and that's how it's going to be for 
a large chunk, maybe the rest of the season, to be honest. And the squad isn't there. Like it's just not, you, you, you see what we're talking about here about the lack of, or how much better the passing is, but it still needs work. And like there's, there's a bunch of areas which need improvement. We've got a, a plaster over a problem up front in Valverkost, see how it goes. There's other issues that need to be addressed, but like with a takeover hanging over the club and this kind of thing and lack of funding, Ten Hag's got to work with what he's got at the moment. And it's just, this is how it's going to be. Maybe it's a story of, players coming in from the cold and just showing themselves as options again for the rest of the season. But this is going to be a long process. I think this is going to be this transfer window. I don't think anything happens, but next summer's transfer window, next winter's transfer window, and the summer after that's transfer window before we start to see Eric Ten Hag's team in full form, to be honest. Yeah, totally. And I think like, you know, we, we kind of talked about it in pre-season a lot and about wild cards and what you can get out of other players. You know, a player like Kobe Manu, who's young and, and a developing talent, you might see ends up getting a run in the squad, you know, ends up being on the bench well, which we are seeing from him. He's supremely talented. Now, again, people say, oh, he's 17. You can't rely on that. I always say, if someone can prove it on a football pitch, like Garnacho is, that Garnacho's absolutely proved without a shadow of a doubt that he is a talent for not just the future, but for now, you can quickly get these players into your rotation squad. And if you do, that just swells your technical numbers. That's what it's about, having more technique in your team. Next year, can you bring back someone like Hannibal? Can you bring him into your rotation? And then maybe sell a Scott McTominay and say, well, Hannibal does all these things, but Hannibal will progress the ball. He'll be more aggressive in the right ways. You know what I mean? He'll actually have got more attacking prowess as well in, in, in those kind of number 10 roles, number eight roles. So there's all these things to come. And I think this is why the situation isn't as dependent on let's go and buy someone. You do need to go and buy players. But in this moment, as you're developing your project, I don't think you should worry too much about what's to come next. It's about what you've got in your pocket at the moment. Speaking of, Jaden Sancho is back in training. So we'll, we'll look, yes. ahead to, uh, look ahead to Arsenal probably from here. Jaden Sancho is back in training after, I don't think he's played for United's senior team for three months-ish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Obviously, Eric Ten Hag has talked about Sancho a few times. Uh, physical and mental issues, which have just need to be corrected. He's been away training mm -hmm. on his own. Uh, you know, we don't know every everything that's, ha that's happened, but as you might have seen with, Jesse Lingard's recent interview on a on a on the Diary of a CEO podcast, like this stuff. These guys are human beings, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you you're not always going to know everything that's gone on, and a bit of criticism here and there can actually get to these people. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, you know, they're footballers, but they're human beings at the end of the day. And like, we need to give people time. Oh, that's what I like about this. Eric Ten Hag has given him time, Jaden yeah. Sancho, to just get away, whether it's some professional stuff, whether it's some personal stuff or a combination of the two. That's like, that's kind of how you treat it. Because Jaden Sancho is supremely talented. And the last thing I want to see is you're not doing it now. We're going to sell you by. Yeah, I would much prefer Ten Hag to kind of speak to him, tell him, this is my plan for you. This is how your path back back into the team is going to go. And we'll reintroduce you when you're ready and when we're ready. And it seems like whether he features on Sunday or not, we're getting close to that. So I'm, and I have, I have like massive confidence. If we, we've seen Aaron Wan-Bissaka can become the type of player that we're talking about now, if we've seen Marcus Rashford can actually start to unlock the potential we already knew he had. If we can see Luke Shaw play at left centre-back admirably and be one of United's best players this season, if we can see Diogo Dallo actually start to make it click together. A bunch of these players, Fred's improvement. I have so much confidence that Jaden Sancho is going to come back flying. Yes, I do as well. And I think the opportunity is there for him. And, you know, I think the Jesse Lingard interview there, we said with Diary, Diary of a CEO, and people should go and listen to it if they can. I think it's it's good that players talk about these things. It does put them in a kind of professional vulnerability to kind of be outward about these things. But at the same time, they are human beings. It does not get talked about enough. All fancy, all the media see is, oh, did you have a good game of football? That's all kind of, that's all it is. That's pays the bills, doesn't it? You played well today. We don't really care about anything else. That's how it goes. Oh, you were bad today. We'll have a go at you. So it's that kind of line. And I think, you know, I said it on the last show and it was like, a, I said it off the cuff as a you know little bit of a joke, but Aaron Wambasaka, you know, logging on to social media, you know, mocking on his phone and going, oh, look, people like me now. It's so powerful. It really is. Jaden Sancho's taken a ton of sticks since he came to Man United. There's this expectation, and show there should be. You know, he's a great player, and he could be even, you know, a worldie in years to come. But how you deal with that pressure, especially at a club at Man United, it, it's a science. And I think that the Eric Ten Hag way of doing it is very similar to the Lou Van Gaal way. So, of course, there's a Dutch connection there. Lou Van Gaal always used to say you manage the human being, you don't manage the player, you manage the human being, you work with the human. Mourinho, completely different. You're a footballer first, second, third and fourth, everything else. Funny, so funny we- you should say that actually, because Jesse Lingard said is Mourinho was a really good man manager. I was about to say, Mourinho has always had, like you can talk to players that played with him or played for him, He's always been able to get in their heads, been really good at being able to kind of motivate players, finding a way, make them be more physical, make them work harder for him. But then the players that he hasn't done, hasn't been able to work with, he, he's become very regressive with. So again, we can talk about Luke Shaw to a blue in the face, but it was a really good example there. So yeah, there's a lot of, play, a lot of the players did like Mourinho and a lot of them didn't. And at the end, it was more, more in the latter camp than the former. So that is as it is. But you can see like Jesse, you know, he... He said, you know, why he left the football club. He explained that. He explained why things were and kind of was also a little bit vague about why he wasn't played or what he thought, one thing or another. Overall, I think with with Jadon Sancho, they've done the right thing. They took him out the firing line and they've gone and reset him. They've helped him in terms of mentality, physicality. And I think with his physicality improving, that will definitely help his mentality. Those things definitely correlate. You know, when you're physically healthy and feel more able, you get there. Jaden Sancho suffered a lot with illnesses in the last year or so, on and off. We can't debate why that is, what, what, what's making you ill, Jaden. We, we can't say one way or the other. What you can do is work towards better health. So he's there now. I, we'll see what Eric says in kind of the lead up to the Arsenal game. 
wouldn't be surprised to see him at some point because he is training and you're a little bit short. So, you know, I think with, with Martial, it all depends if, if, if his body's going to hold up. But if Jaden Sancho might well be an option, even 20 minutes off the bench, that could be the difference of winning and losing. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him back. Obviously, I think this is a, this is a long-term play, though, whenever he's ready to come back. Of course. You know, it's fine with me. Um, but let, let's look ahead to Arsenal then. How do United do it without Casemiro? Well, you're going to have to do it with that elite off-ball pressure that we have been seeing. So that's why I feel pretty good about these things. Because when, you're, when things are not working, the, the first thing you must do is still work hard. Yeah, so if you lost Casemiro, so what? Casemiro actually... He, he's really good at reading the game, isn't he? And tracking the space and not letting the runner kind of having free reign in, in pockets and in the channel. So you've got to still clog that up. So Fred can do that job. What Fred can't do is the on-ball stuff. So when Fred's got the ball, he's not as good as Casemiro. And he's not as good as maybe going backwards and forwards as Casemiro. That's why I think we'll see some kind of double pivot. It will be 4-2-3-1 because you'll just have that bit of coverage there. However, if Fred's doing the energy work, you can give the ball to Ericsson and get Ericsson moving the play from number six. So I think that's the, that's the way this will play out. I don't really see there being anything radical. Um, there's been kind of some chat around. We talked about, you know, what could you change if you wanted someone more combative in there? Do you put Luke Shaw at left centre-back and move Martinez into a defensive midfield role? Now that we know that the manager has said, no, he doesn't like Martinez as a defensive midfielder, but we do know that he had done that at Ajax. It did, they did do it at times. Would you do it as a one-off just to have a little bit more bite in there and also allow Ericsson to play higher up the pitch? So you could still then play with your press, couldn't you? With maybe Bruno on the right, take Anthony out and have Ericsson as the eight floating up and down. That's worked for United in the front areas of the pitch, in the press. Just will it work from the back? So that's the wild card option. Or you could even just throw Jaden in there and see what happens. But I don't think we'll see that. I think uh, Eric Ten Hag is actually much more of a surgeon, isn't he, with his scalpel? He likes to kind of craft things. And you see it coming week after week, and then then the tactic happens. But they've been working on it for a little while. I think we are more likely to see a 4-2-3-1, which, of course, now means, now I've said that, it's going to be a double pivot of McFred, isn't it? But I don't think that uh, the manager will be just going for energy in that part of the park. He'll be looking to play the ball out from there on the counter-press. I said when Martinez signed that I'd like to see him in there. I don't think it'll happen, but you know, I'm not against it happening. No. Uh, what, what's a what's a good result, Rob? This this weekend because obviously we we know where United are in the table. Uh, we've spoke about that throughout the show. Uh, Arsenal really on form, although Man City. Well, we'll talk about City in a little while because mm. Pep's interview was quite. I say weird, a little bit, little bit weird uh, after the Spurs game. Yeah. But City have beaten Spurs and they've closed the gap on Arsenal. Yeah. And if, if you just stripped away that interview and everything that Pep said, which was a kind of signifier of what was happening behind the scenes, you'd have looked at that result and the way they stormed back in the second half, scoring four goals as, oh, that might be the turning point for Man City now. I think they've, they've woken up a little bit and they're going to go on a, a winning run of 20 games in a row. Maybe doesn't suggest that, but City are on Arsenal's coattails. They play them twice soon, I think, uh, in the FA Cup and in the league. And obviously, they they've got to play twice in the in the Premier League before the end of the season as well. So, yeah, pressure's on Arsenal, really. All the pressure is on Arsenal, and that's the truth. You know, Man United really can can go to North London with a bit of a free hit this. It really is. They can go there and say, we'll play our game. We see what happens. If we lose, we're probably supposed to lose. We haven't got Casemiro. That's going to be the story, isn't it? I think, though, Man United could go to Arsenal and cause them a lot of trouble and cause them problems. And and the pressure is on those teams where the expectation levels are higher. And I think with Arsenal, those expectations have grown, and rightfully so. And I think rightfully, they are the favourites to win this football match. Like, they should be. They're, they're top of the table on form. I would say they're the best team in the world. I really believe that. And I think all credit to Arteta and his players. But I think when you look at United, I think United will go there and and try and take the fight to Arsenal. And that's not something maybe we would have seen in previous years, is it? We'd have seen United be a little bit more passive, a little bit deeper. I don't think we'll see that. Might be a little bit more of a mid-block in this game. You might see United 
try and address the Odegaard issue in there. I think Odegaard is really the true ball player in there. You know, Saka and Martinelli are fantastic. And Ketia, if you put the ball on the edge of his foot from six yards, he'll score. But it's about Odegaard. And I think if you can stop Odegaard on the front foot and Zichenko coming now from the flank, if you man-mark those two players, United have shown in recent weeks they're pretty good at man-marking those positions now. That's not a Casemiro thing. Do you get what I mean? That is a that's a midfield function of putting someone on there. And and Fred and McTominay can do that. They can man mark people. They're just not very good at passing the ball compared to maybe other opponents. You stop that heart of the Arsenal team. I think United have got a chance. I, I'm not going there feeling like oh no, this is scary. In fact, I don't feel like that about any of the matches anymore. I at least feel that there is a a philosophy happening at United that gives you a chance, Scott. Whereas I think last year, without that philosophy, you're always just wishing. It's just a prayer, isn't it? You're just like praying that even though like Ranić's talking about counter-pressing, will these boys do it? And you see it, and they're not doing it. And you go, oh, at least they're doing those things now. Just that, I've just had a flashback to what you said about go, going into matches and how you feel. Yeah. At least it's not, oh, well, how bad are we going to be today? <laughs> anymore. And if you lose, Scott, like if you lose, yeah. let's say you lose badly, you lose 4 0, right? It's 4 0, and United play awful. You just say, oh, we didn't have Casemiro, move on to the next game. That's it. That is going to be it. And I think that's what's changed with United. When you lose 4 0 at Brentford, it was kind of feeling like the end of the world very early on. And we all were like, went from super confident and like, oh, let's see what we're going to see to saying, oh, it's the same as what we've always seen. It's not the same team. It's not. So this is why, you know, point at Palace is disappointing. And if you lose to Arsenal, it will be disappointing. But your objective is top four. So you've still got a ton of games to play. And if you get top four and say the League Cup and a good run, say in the Europa. That's a great season. It's a great season. So this is why expectations don't need to be too inflated at the moment. Of course, it's Man United. And if they did lose 4-0, it would be the biggest story in the world. And we'd have to talk about it until we're blue in the face. But it doesn't matter. Like, that's the truth. I don't think the squad would go away and go, oh, Arsenal hammered us. So, you know, we're not going to play well the next few weeks. Because that's what we would have got last year. We would have got that. And maybe previous seasons, that confidence would have just disappeared. Now we can go, oh, we didn't have Casemiro, so we'll get back to basics next week and let's go and start beating everyone else again because that's what it's about. Beat the bottom 16 teams. It's my catchphrase. Beat the bottom 16 teams because if you do that, you finish in the top four. I don't think Eric Ten Hag allows that to fester either. No. You know, that kind of, oh, no, our confidence has gone. is just shot yeah. again. I think Ten Hag is, is worked wonders in that sense. Uh, but, yeah, let, let us know. Uh, obviously, Arsenal versus Man United Sunday afternoon at the Emirates. United's recent record at the Emirates hasn't been great, but we have had some fun wins at the Emirates down the years. Quite a long time ago now, actually. But uh, yeah, uh, we'll see. Let us know how you think this one will go. Let us know if Casemiro's absence is going to cost United the game. Let us know how you think United can win this game. Let us know what a result you'd be happy with. Would you be happy with a 1-1 draw and just I would be. I'd take a draw. I'd take a 1-1. One, one. I'd take a draw against the best team on the planet. You know what I mean? This, this, I, this I, is I'm it. not having that. Napoli are just on another planet at the moment. I, I, I was going to say, Arsenal and Napoli for me are the top two teams. And Napoli are doing amazing things in Italy at the moment. But I still think Arsenal, you look at their project and how they've done it through really youth and building. Uh, I just, I look at that and I just think to myself, you know, all credit to Arsenal. They deserve to be up there and, and given those plaudits and given their flowers because... They are an inc- incredible team to watch and all the work that they do and the players that they've got. Uh, Arteta is, uh, from being a, a year ago, derided by a lot of Arsenal fans. A lot of Arsenal fans wanted him gone, didn't they? They didn't like the football and they were like, this is too too soft. Well, technical football is the way forward and they are one of the most technical teams on the planet. We are running long, but we're going to do... I'll, I'll drop that. We were going to talk David Raya today, but I'm going to run out of time. We'll, uh, save so him. We'll, we'll save him as he tries to save shots. Um, but yes, we'll, we'll talk about that later on, maybe, maybe next week. Uh, but two things that we did want to talk about today was how Eric Ten Hag said this quote at the start of the season, uh, talking about Man City and Liverpool when they were the best teams in the world. I admire them both in terms of, you know, that's what he said on Guardiola and Klopp. They play, pan- they play fantastic football, but eras come to an end. And I think that was kind of at the time looked at like, hmm, that's punchy. 
<laughs> yeah. He's right, but that's punchy. And I don't think anybody could have seen that, that suggestions of that happening within six to eight months. It seems like Liverpool are right there. But Pep Guardiola's interview with Sky after the Spurs game suggested to me that there's some, someone's got to give there as well. I know you, you think that too, Rob. Yeah, I thought it for a little while. Like, and I said, I think the difference is, is that when City were not playing so well, maybe a year or two ago and had periods, you watched them and you thought, oh, they'll sort it out. Like they've lost two or three games out of 10 or whatever, and they're not happy, but you can see they're ready to murder someone. They're so good. The core is there. It's ticking. And eventually they just thrash a load of teams and win 10 on the bounce, 15 on the bounce, 20 on the bounce. That was a unique property of that City team going back over time. I think when you look at City now, and certainly I think both the stuff we hear from behind the scenes, but more what you're seeing on the pitch and what's coming out the manager's mouth, is that this era at Manchester City is being compromised at the very least. And it's different. It's not like it is before. It's not bad form. There's something not happening. For Guardiola to come out, if you haven't seen the, the kind of presser after the game, and accused his team and the and the fans, accused the Man City fans. The, the home fans. The home so fans. The away of, fans are some of the, the, the best in the world. I think United's away fans are brilliant. Accusing but. them as of a lack of passion. Hmm. That's I, 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 When managers say that, it's a deep wound. Like Managers don't say that because you've lost a game or just because you play badly. There's something when, when a manager accuses his, t- his players and uh, and 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 fans of apathy, you know, and saying they, da- they haven't got it, they haven't got the passion for it. You might say, oh, he's trying to provoke them into action. You just said there with the win against Spurs. Well, it provoked what Reed Murray's. I don't think the rest of the team were that good. You know, like Murray's had a worldie, got a load of assists and scored and really ripped them apart from that side of the pitch. But, you know, Jack Grealish, again, I think it's just very disappointing in his wider work, you know, what you bought £100 million for. You go through the team, you know, you drop De Bruyne because it's not working for him. You drop Foden, Foden's not playing. And Salo's the one for me. Like, and it's Cancelo. Just, yeah, yeah, like he is, like people still hold Cancelo up as the best fullback in the world, right? Or the, the best left back in the world, wherever you want to play him. But he ain't getting a look in. Not getting you know? a look in. And, and, and Rico Lewis as a kid is keeping him out. And it's all because of how you play into that inverted space. And you can see with Cancelo, he's been used really wide at times and he suffers because he can't roam inside. But when he's come inside, he's not been very good. So you can see why Guardiola's trying to tinker with the shape and why he's not playing minutes. Uh, you know, you and me have both said this. We, we both believe that Cancelo will not be at Manchester City for much longer. That's the vibe coming out of the football club. So we'll see what happens. That's a wait and see. But with these big changes, these, these are a bit important things, aren't they, Scott? Things that were steadfast and worked for you for a long time just stop working for you and you've got to work it out. Otherwise you lose games. That's why Arsenal are so far ahead of City in that context. So things are working for Arsenal. You're at the top of the table. You're winning games. City are, are bobbing, aren't they, above water. Liverpool have just plummeted to a mid-table club from being a Champions League contender, you know, and a Premier League contender. I said to you off camera as well, the Klopp period at, at Dortmund that collapsed very much mirrors this one. You know, Dortmund competing for everything, stop competing, Klopp, unthinkable leaving a football club, is gone. And that's how it works. That's football in a nutshell. Could happen there at those two clubs. So it's a wait and see, isn't it? Those two teams need to sort themselves out. Yeah, I mean, the way Pep was speaking, I know he's just signed a new deal. Yeah. But it it seems when you say stuff like that, and we always say this is what Sir Alex Ferguson was just this is why mm-hmm. his tenure was so long. He, he recognized when that was starting to appear and he would address it straight away. Yeah. This, that to me screamed for the first time of they're either selling some major players in the next six months or Pep's walking. And I don't know which way it's going to go. Compare it to as a Guardiola signing this contract at this time, obvious why they've done that. It was a really good deal. It's obvious why he's taken it. But look at Mourinho when he signed his big deal with United. As soon as a manager gets that deal, they feel empowered and confident and they're a little bit more bolshy and they'll say things that probably they shouldn't say publicly. Now, we know Mourinho made an art of that. But Guardiola is doing that. Really, what he should be doing is getting his team in camp and closing the doors. 
He shouldn't be sharing this stuff. He shouldn't be sharing that he thinks his players have a lack of passion. He should just be saying, we're going to sort it out. Now, for the media, of course, yeah, we want the quote. We want that quote saying, we, my players haven't got passion. But I don't want that if I'm the chairman of the football club. I'm looking at that and going, Mr Guardiola, let's have a chat about that. Because I don't really want you spreading our dirty laundry out there in the press. And that's what he's doing deliberately because he's just got his new deal. So he feels empowered. He's not going to lose money, is he? So you're right. I think that there is a chance that both Guardiola and Klopp, maybe those eras, as Mr. Eric Ten Hag put it, maybe they are coming to an end. But there's also the, the chance that because of the incredible money that goes around in football, Manchester City are uber elite in terms of cash. Liverpool about to get new owners as well. Both those clubs will just rebuild maybe with their mm -hmm. existing pieces. There's always that option. But you see it on the football pitch. They are not the same bodies of work. Something has changed at those clubs. Players are not running for those managers like they have been for six years. It's fundamental. It's something deep. Whereas United have gone from being a bunch of players that don't run for anyone to running through brick walls for Eric Ten Hag. So it's going the other way. So that trend is very, very positive for us. I think whenever Guardiola and Klopp move on, or if they fail, they consistently fail to reach the levels they've reached in the last few years. You have a you have seven teams there, maybe six. I don't know about Spurs. Yeah, you have six teams there really who can are on par, and you just like this is this gets me every time when people have said in the past, "Oh, United finished thirty points behind City," or "United finished thirty points behind Liverpool," or "Liverpool finished hmm. twenty points above Man City." It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing in no. comparison to the season after. But anyway, yeah. Uh, let us know. Do you think the Man City-Liverpool era is coming to an end? Uh, Man United's new era could start soon as well. We'll wrap up here because uh, this week, since our last show, Robert, always seems to happen. We do a recording and then some massive piece of news comes out. Jim Ratcliffe has gone public with his yeah. desire to take Manchester United from the Glazers. He will not be the only one. Uh, and you can throw all these, like, I really want Jim Ratcliffe as the owner. I want mm. this. I want that. You know, we, we don't know what Ratcliffe's intentions are. We don't know what any who else is going to enter the run-in at the moment. But this is, I'll put it this way, this is the start of public jockeying for position or you know public declarations to come out and obviously we'll know over the next few weeks we're going to see a lot more of these who will be in the running to take over this club long term absolutely and i think you know the jim radcliffe angle kind of knew two weeks ago that this was the way it was going and that they were going to explore a bid they wanted to look at the books at Manchester United. That's why we talked about on the show. We also talked about Lewis Hamilton. As we understand, Lewis Hamilton's not involved in any of this at the moment. He's certainly not been asked. Um, but Ineos and Sir Jim Radcliffe, we know that Sir Jim Radcliffe's a Mancunian, you know, a Manchester United fan as a kid, that, that he would be very interested in doing business with the Glazers. And quite interestingly, he does have a good relationship with them. So that does give him an edge in terms of, I think, some of the other potential investors, because yes, the Glazers will just want the biggest bid, of course. But uh, is, there a, is there a scenario here where Sir Jim Ratcliffe takes the club over with a consortium and are the Glazers part of that consortium? Like somewhere on the board, minority, minority uh, stakeholders still getting some cash back from future Man United success. I think the Glazers would actually find that quite attractive. Now that's just that's just me kind of saying that. I'm not. That's not a thing. I, that's not nothing. Something we've heard, but I do think that that Ineos would like to be involved in, in Manchester United. Like that. That is where we are. We stand, and we do think that a bid is forthcoming. So, so we don't know all the details, and that will kind of emerge as we go ahead. There is definitely a lot of takers now. Like I think this is growing. Like we've heard about Dubai consortiums and places from all over the world, Americans. It's going to just grow and grow and grow. And it's going to be, I think, the most interesting club transfer window of all time. Because I think there's going to be a lot of playing off here. There's going to be five or six bidders who all put different things forward. Let's see who really comes up with the big money. You know, who puts their money where their mouth is. I keep saying this. I would like it to be so, Jim. I'll put it out there, Scott. And, and there are reasons for that. And it's not just because he's a Mancunian or he's English or, you know, I would like Man United to be run in a certain way. I quite like United to be run 
in a more sensible way. I really would. I would like someone who runs his businesses in that way. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really want the richest man running running the football club. That's not how I see it. There's no doubt that Man City's success has been because they have been the richest club in world football. They're top That's- of the Delight Money League, Rob. And over that, that time, Man City, top of the Delight Money League again, even though they, they've only been successful for 10 years. <laughs> Do you know what? I wrote something not so long ago and I didn't publish it in the end because I, I kind of, I undenied about that, that exact point, right? And City now have got all of this revenue and all this and, and, and they've created this base over 10 years, yeah, of revenues. But there are so many holes in those revenues, like so many... X-bet so many strange things that you kind of feel that one day that's going to come to pass. I don't want to talk about that too much, but that's how it feels because City have had all this money. That's why they are where they are. What I don't want with Man United is to follow that path. Yeah, I don't so. want, I don't want the same, like a similar set of owners with a similar set of values to do those things. You know, I don't and need I, that either. No. And I've said this, I don't care if the owners from the Middle East or not. I'm not interested in geography. You know, the, the owner could be from the moon. It's fine. As long as they run the club in the correct way. And there isn't all these kind of added caveats to it. Like there has been at Man City. If Man City's money disappears tomorrow. Yeah. Man City come become a relegation club again, like they've been for most of their decades as a team. Yeah, that's just the truth. They don't have the money. Same with Newcastle United. You know, so I, I look at Liverpool's success and I think the model of what FSG have done, now they're, te- they're getting a lot of stick because they're trying to exit the club or get investment or do what they're trying to do. I want an owner that grounds Manchester United in both their history and also the future and kind of says, yeah, you know, we're not going to do what these teams have done with billions and billions. We're going to do more what Arsenal have done. Like Arsenal pulled out that Madrid deal, yeah, because... At the end of it, they were trying being told to gazump Chelsea. And they went, no, we're not doing it. We've not, we, we, we will go and get someone else eventually. Well, they're going to go get Trossard now, aren't they? So, you know, a, a, a much more budgetary friendly signing. I believe there's value in the market. I always have done. So I don't think you need an owner that spends 500 million a year. You just need... It only maybe, adds pressure as well. It, it adds pressure. And, and being, the truthful, being truthful about it, Scott, when it happens... It's usually to sell shirts. Yeah, that's the truth. So when you get those big wage or Ronaldo or something like that, you, they say it's about winning. It's not really about winning. It's about to sell shirts to protect the business. So I'm happy going down the route of finding players who have upscale potential, like a Martinez or someone like that at centre back, and then supplementing it with a veteran like a Varane and a Casemiro, and getting the right mix and balance. Because it's all just about winning football matches, Scott, isn't it? So let's see with the ownership issue. Uh, there's no doubt that if it does end up being, say, Dubai, that we then end up being put into that, what I would call rat race from the Middle East about ownership and about why they own football clubs and sports washing. It becomes a different conversation. At least Dubai don't have some of the issues that, say, Saudi Arabia have and all of those things. So there is a... There's, there's that caveat, I think, there. But I would love Sir Jim Ratcliffe to do it because I think there is some romance in there as well that, that you know, British... Some. Brit- you, don't get, you some. don't get it anywhere anymore, but and there's he's some. he's not crystal clear. He's, yeah. not, he's not crystal clean as a, as a, as a guy. Like, Ineos is a chemicals company. And you could dig into the environment and look at all sorts of stuff there. But at, at the same time, I think that, you know, I'm not going to compare what he's done at Nice to what he would do at Man United because I think that's the... That's what a lot of fans are doing. They're kind of going, oh, he's made a mess of Nice. And I think he probably has, but I think the setup at Nice has not been particularly good anyway. And, and they went a different route of trying to attract, you know, the, the kind of a marquee names that are not particularly marquee, you know, not very good. You know, that's the problem, you know, the goalkeepers and, and whatnot. But I think United are on a, on a good path. And I think if you bring in Jim Radcliffe, run the finances correctly and give Eric Ten Hag a good structure to build this team in terms of money and recruitment and you have a proper director of football and you do all that stuff and you go scout players and you kind of buy players that are your Julian Alvarez's and their next kind of level players. I'm happy. I don't care if you win the league or not then, then at least you're trying to do it the right way and you can feel happy in your own skin. Yeah. Like we say, there's going to this, we've taught uh, Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos. Yeah. There's going to be a hell of a lot more of these um, over yeah. the next few weeks. So One more to add. I know we've run long, Scott. One thing to add, the stadium is crucial 
The stadium is crucial. Whoever comes up with that perfect stadium package, and we don't know what it is yet, but we know that obviously architects are being commissioned to do this work behind the scenes. So this is not something that we're dreaming up again. This is happening in real time in terms of the business. Is that if the owner that comes up with that money, and this is why it might be a Dubai or somewhere super rich uh, owner to come in, I think knock the stadium down and rebuild it 300 yards away in all that land that Man United own around the stadium. I think they're probably going to be the people that buy the football club in the end. So it's interesting whether Sir Jim Ratcliffe would do that, but it's a huge project, but it's, it's probably like the biggest building project in the Northwest's history. Like it's huge. It would be a 80, 90,000 seat stadium, which would be one of the top five stadiums in the world. So that is a big project that a new owner would have to commit to. And we hear that the Glazers have put that out there. The Glazers have said part of this package, the things we're selling, we want to know what people want to do with the stadium because we either want a stake in it or we have sponsors who we're friends with who would like to be involved with it. And there's a little bit of kind of coming together of different factions. Yeah, uh, like we say, plenty, uh, plenty of developments to come on, on that side of things. Uh, we'll see who else enters the race publicly, uh, wants to look at the books, wants to put their own bids forward over yeah. the next few weeks. So obviously, this is going to be dragged out over the next few months as well. So it's it's not going to be something that's fixed pretty quickly. But anyway, it's nice to know that United are on the pitch moving in a generally positive direction. And it's nice to know that ownership changes are on the horizon. Uh, but yes, uh, United play Arsenal Sunday. We've talked uh, at length today. Uh, I don't know how long we've gone for, Rob, but <laughs> I, I, I need to leave. So um, yes, I think, I think we will we'll wrap it up there. Please subscribe. Uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. I think our biggest share is on Apple. I looked at the numbers the other day. Uh, iPhones are everywhere, obviously. Uh, and get on YouTube. Watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays too. So we'll we'll be here next Tuesday to talk about the Arsenal result, I would imagine, and anything else that's happening. So yeah, go to that channel, subscribe, comment, like the video, join the community with us as well. Get in touch with us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B at Promise and MU for the show. And we'll be back soon. We'll be back Tuesday, big weekend ahead. Casemiro is going to be watching it, unfortunately, not playing in it, but we'll see how, we'll see what Eric Tanhag's plan is. Rob, thanks very much. We'll see you soon, everyone. Another Promise and on its way soon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.